You want to get your Bibles out and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Unlike this morning, we will be reading a good bit of passages, so you might want to turn there. This morning we were focused on just two passages, so that was uh, you know, a little easier to, to follow along. This is going to be a little bit more reading. Uh, we've been studying in this book and, and seeing a lot of uh, insights into the world of Israel and Judah and their struggles to be obedient uh, to God and God's struggles to help them see their need for obedience and help them understand uh, that, that he is a loving and compassionate God who has great plans for their future. You remember Ahaz uh, refused to tr put his trust in God. Instead, he put his trust in Assyria, and we saw how that went. Uh, so it's been a while since we've been here, but uh, we're picking up uh, where we left off in Isaiah chapter 9 and studying tonight about God's anger. Uh, there's a repeated frame through, refrain throughout this whole section. Four times we're going to see this statement being given. At the end of verse 12, uh, it's as, as follows. It says, Even then the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. This is the way the New Living Translation put it. His, his fist is still poised to strike. His hand is still extended is the way um, that other translations put it. But it's, it's not a, a, an extended hand for grace. It's an extended hand for uh, his fist to strike. So I really like the way the New Living Translation put it. Uh, as we look at this, we're going to see a repetition of God's anger. Uh, and, you know, as we study the prophets, you might characterize the prophets uh, as displaying the anger of God as, as the people have been disobedient, rebellious. Um, and, and certainly that is true. We've seen tons of instances where his grace is on display. And so it's not all about that. But here we find uh, a very specific instance where there's this repeated refrain that his anger doesn't go away. Uh, his anger is staying upon these people. And so as we study tonight, we're going to understand why it is that God's anger does not go away. Uh, and and what, what's interesting is I was thinking about this. There's a picture that popped into my mind of, um, you know, there's a commercial. I don't know if it was Geico or, uh, or what other, what, what kind of commercial it was. But these, these uh, kids were on the run from the chainsaw massacre guy. He had his chainsaw and stuff. And, and they're like, should we get in the car or should we go hide behind that shed of chainsaws? And they, they're like, oh, well, let's go hide behind that shed of chainsaws. You know? and, and so that's what they do. They do this obviously ridiculous thing. Like, why would you do that? In horror movies, we always see them run upstairs, and we're just like, why would you do that? <laughs> There's no escape upstairs. Why are you doing that? You know. Over and over again, we see instances where we're just yelling at the TV saying, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? Go the other way. Do this. Do that. Uh, and, and a lot of times I'm afraid that's how we end up feeling as we study the Old Testament. Uh, we see Israel doing things and we're thinking, why would you do that? Stop doing that and everything will be fine. And they won't listen to us because just like the people in the TV, uh, we're separated from them. Except it's not a television screen, but it's time that separates us. We can't go back and speak to them uh, and help them see the truth. Not that they would listen to us anyway. Uh, but as we, as we study tonight, we're going to see how these people are, are doing all the wrong things and they won't stop it. And we're, we're helpless, just helplessly sitting here saying, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Um, and it's not, it's not really intended to be that way. It's not really intended for us to just look at these ridiculous people and say, why are they doing this? 
So we're going we're gonna to take an understanding of what they do and try to see how that reflects what we do uh, as we study this tonight. Okay, uh, So we're going to start with the first four verses, so chapter 9, verses 8 through 12, and see the first section. Let's start there. Verse uh, 8 of Isaiah chapter 9. Let me get there in my digital Bible as well. All right, it says, uh, The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is still outstretched. Okay. So as we look at this text, we notice that there's an attitude among the Israelites. Notice it's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel under the reign of Rezin. Uh, and, and they are in a difficult position. Apparently, they have endured some level of destruction. As it says, their bricks have been torn down, uh, but they're gonna, they're, they give this impression, we're fine, we're going to be fine, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all good, everything's fine, nothing to worry about, you know, everything's been destroyed, but it's okay. We just lost some bricks, but we're going to build it back, and it's going to be even better. You know, they, they're... They're claiming that there's no problem here. They're ignoring the fact that God has sent Assyria against them in judgment and caused a, a, a destruction to happen against them. And, and they're not paying any attention to it. They're just thinking, everything's going to get better now. What we had was just nothing. This is nothing compared to what we're going to have. They just helped us. They went ahead and did the demo work for us is what they did. So now we're going to be more prosperous than we've ever been in our entire existence. Notice, they believe that their strength and their ingenuity is what's going to save them. What's going to provide for them. What's going to cause them to have tremendous success. Even more success than they've ever had since their existence. And they're saying, we don't need God. Ultimately. Saying we don't need God, we we can do this. You know they've got this. We can do it attitude that uh, we can overcome. We can we can accomplish this. All we need is just some some you know, hard work and sweat and and do our best, and we'll be able to uh, fix everything and even make it better. Notice what God says. I'm raising up the Philistines and the Syrians. So here they are in their broken down city. Saying, oh, we're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody uh, having a house that's just been hit by a tornado, and they, they get up from the debris, and they say, oh, I'm good. Everything's good. Oh, we're going to build back even better. It's going to be fantastic, you know? Um, and they don't even know that there's a hurricane coming, you know? Like, they're just ignorant. They're, they're arrogant. They're proud. They think that they can accomplish it, and they have no idea what's coming. Uh, and this is a picture of self-reliance. That, that these people are so self-focused that they're not seeing or understanding God's judgment against them. 
They have no repentance in their heart. They are just going to continue to press on with their way, doing what they want to do until it kills them. And so we see the refrain. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still, or as the living translation put it, uh, his fist is still poised to strike. It's a picture of God is ready to destroy them again because they haven't changed. They haven't turned to God, returned to him as he's called for them to. They have stubbornly said, we got this. We can fix all of our problems all by ourselves. And God says, my anger is not going away if you're not willing to repent and change. It's not as though I'm, I'm the God who vents his anger and then I'm good for a little while. And then I'm not going to bring any more wrath on you because you've got some time now to rebuild and to fix everything yourself and, and make it more beautiful before I ever get angry again. You see, that's the way they're viewing God as though he's got an anger level and once he expends his anger, then it's all over and then they can go right back to sinning and doing whatever it is that they want to do and they just got to rebuild all this stuff back again. And God says, I'm not done with you. I'm not turning away. I'm not saying you're good because you've suffered enough. I'm coming again and I'm bringing you even more destruction. Well, as we look at just this first section, I think we can relate to ourselves, kind of look in the mirror and think about uh, how often we believe we can overcome things. How many things do we look at in our life and think, if I'm just resilient enough, if I'm just persistent enough, if I'm just tough enough, then I can accomplish anything. And you know, that's a good thing. That's a good, good can-do attitude. You're going to accomplish a good bit, probably in life, but not if God doesn't want you to. You see, they've lost sight of the fact that God is the one who gives them success, or God is the one who's bringing about their failure. They've lost sight of the fact that they rely on God for every breath they breathe, for everything they own and everything they enjoy in life. They're failing to honor God. And to recognize their reliance on him daily. And so as we look at them and we, we, we are like, just like in the movie, like, why are you doing that? What in the world are you thinking? Let's, let's realize sometimes we do the same things. Sometimes life hits us really hard and we suffer as a result of our sins. A lot of times we have consequences and we're suffering. And instead of Thinking, okay, I've got to change. I've got to put away this sin and I've got to do the right things. We're thinking, okay, the worst of it's over now and now I can get back into it and I can get back to doing what really makes me happy and what I enjoy. I can go right back into the sin that I've always gone into. You see, the danger of that, that attitude, that mentality is what God is trying to reveal to us. If, if we're sinning and we're rebelling against God and life starts to disintegrate around us as a result of our sin, which is what happens, if we keep the law, it is good for us. God's righteous acts and God's uh, righteous example through Christ is going to create a better life for us. A life of sin is going to create a worse life full of strife and suffering. If we choose to pursue the worst life, bad things are going to happen to us. It's just a consequence. And we can't believe that everything will get better if we persist in the sins and the evils that we've done. Well, now he gets into 
even more of kind of a foundational problem. This is a foundational problem. The lack of reliance on God and the the reliance on self is a foundational problem. And I think it's something that we all struggle with. Uh, As we look at, uh, you know, people who are out working in the kingdom or not working, we're very focused on, um, you know, their abilities. As we look at ourselves, we're very focused on our abilities. And we, we beat ourselves up when we don't accomplish things or do certain things because we believe that if we put in enough blood, sweat, and tears, then, then this will happen. Um, but really, we have to learn to rely on God. We have to learn to turn to God for help. Uh, and this is a valuable, valuable lesson for us. Let's look at the next section, verse 13. For after all this punishment, the people still will still not repent. Let me, let me read the ESV. I got the NLT for that one phrase, and then I wanted to use my phone for the ESV. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tale. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Notice here that there's a picture of the people after all this has happened and their arrogance, they've relied on themselves still, and it says they're not returning to God. And then it tells us about uh, them not inquiring of the Lord of hosts, and then it says God's going to hurt their, their leadership. And the picture is, instead of turning to God, they've turned to their leadership. They have sought their elders. They've got great elders, right? They've got great men of honor. They're uh, great prophets that they're relying on. That These men look beautiful and they seem strong and they're very eloquent in the way that they're speaking. And hopefully we can see the correlation. uh, That they're relying on these celebrities or these experts for their guidance and for their victories. Instead of going to God... They're saying, well, we've still got these men, and look how beautiful they are, and look how good they sound, and look how smart they they appear, and how wise they seem. Surely these men are good enough and powerful enough to save us from all trouble. (coughs) And God says, those who guide this people mislead them. I like the way the NIV put it. Those who guide this people mislead them. And those who are guided are led astray. See, this is, this is the, the issue that's going on there is they've lifted up men as being great and the source of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and the source of success and victory. <clears throat> I've got a cough drop. It's not working, sorry. But instead, they should be turning to God. You know, they've got, they've got the, the greatest to ever play, and they're letting him sit on the sideline, and they're focused on all these other, other players who, who are worthless and can't do anything for them. Uh, and, and why would they do that, you know? Why would we do that? Do we not see how we can do the same thing? 
Again, this is hitting on this idea of not relying on God. In the first case, they're relying on themselves. In the second case, they appear to be relying on other people, on men. And thinking that these men are going to be our saviors. And these men are going to do everything for us and make our life good. We just have to pay them enough money. We just have to treat them with enough glory and honor and prestige. And then we'll get out of them what we're putting into them. And God says, I'm going to cut them all off. These prophets that are speaking lies, they're the tail. I'm going to cut them all off. These leaders who are leading them astray, I'm going to cut them all off. They're not going to be saved from this judgment. So again, we can hopefully derive a very important warning not to lift up men or to think a lot about our leadership beyond the fact that hopefully they're godly and they're following the ways of Christ and serving. I mean, that should, be, that should really be the defining characteristic, not they're beautiful, not they're perfect, because they're not, and if they're appearing that way, then they're hiding something probably. Uh, but, but just recognizing that we rely on God and these men also are relying on God and they're helping us to rely on God more. And that's the way they're leading us. And that ought to be the, the, the desire of leaders, men who desire to be elders. You shouldn't be relying on yourselves. You shouldn't be relying on your own power, your own ability, your own wisdom, uh, your own stature, status. You should be relying on God. And, and leading the people to, to follow in those same footsteps. Jesus himself, the greatest leader to ever walk the earth, showed a complete reliance on God and submission to God. Why should we be any different? And so what we see the Israelites failing to do is oftentimes what we fail to do. Uh, they're, they're failing to put their trust where it should really be put. Uh, and we have to learn that. I'll tell you, I have to learn that. Uh, I have to learn to pray to God and ask for his help as I'm studying, as I'm getting ready to come up here and preach. And that's been a process since I've been here because I, I, I'm one of the worst at relying on myself. Uh, and I have to learn to rely on God instead. And we all do. Uh, every issue, every trouble, every trial should, should immediately evoke a prayer inside of us, not a worry session where we try to analyze everything and have a lot of anxiety because what are we going to do to fix it? It should instead result in us considering, are we in a good place with God? Have we, have we sought Him? Have we repented and, and lived for Him? And uh, Is everything going to be okay whether this falls apart and I die or whatever happens is the eternal relationship where it needs to be? And that should be our attitude in our hearts. Let's look at the next section. Starting in verse 18. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest. And they roll upward in a column of smoke. Though the wrath of the Lord of hosts, uh, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched. And the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but they are still hungry. And they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this his anger has not turned away. And his hand is stretched out 
still. Notice here uh, that there's this picture of wickedness spreading throughout the country. Uh, not only have they sought to rely on themselves, not only have they sought to rely on other men, but they have now become judges with evil intentions. Brother against brother. And the way he, he tells us about that is, uh, he gives us this illustration. Wickedness is spreading like a fire. And it's just destroying. And notice it says it's burning up the thorns and the briars. Well, that sounds like a good thing, right? I mean, that's a good fire. That needed to happen. It's refining, you know. It's, it's getting rid of all that brush and all that bad stuff so that the good stuff can grow. But then, unfortunately, uh, whenever we come to verse... Um, 19, he says, and the people are like fuel for the fire. We see the destruction is not just the vegetation, but the destruction is really the people. People are being destroyed. And then he tells us about Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim, you remember, are the brothers, right? They're the sons of Joseph. Uh, and two tribes of Israel, and they are turning against one another. And it says you're slicing the arm. You know, your brother is like your right arm, your right-hand man kind of a picture. You're destroying your own ability to accomplish anything as you fight against one another, he says. You're You're not working together to accomplish great things, but instead you're hurting each other. And God is is making it clear that he's letting it happen. You know, sometimes God's judgments aren't a a surrounding nation coming in to destroy. Sometimes God's judgment is to let people do what they want to do. And it's judgment enough. He gives them over to a depraved mind so that they destroy each other and bite and devour one another. And that's what's happened in Israel. They have just constantly been fighting with one another so there's no unity, so there's no opportunity for them to bounce back and get out of this wickedness. They're just they're so selfish, so self-consumed that they're lashing out against their brother and destroying each other. And from the outside, we look at that and say, foolish Israelites. Of course you'll never make it. Jesus himself said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But... What about us? We just talked this morning about slander. Think about it. All the strife and the discord and the conflict that that spurs up among a body of, of believers resembles this very picture that there is no unity, but instead there's this wildfire that's burning, that's destroying people. That's what's happening. And so as we look at this, we see obviously somebody should stop this, you know. Somebody should, should look at their brother who's promoting strife and issues within the group and they should say something to stop this. A leader should come in and, and tell everybody and unite everybody to do the right things. They should put an end to the wickedness of, of destroying one another. And they should learn to trust in God and they should pursue God's will and live a life that's in accordance with the law and glorify God. Well, what about us? So obvious to us what they should do. What should we do? Strife and jealousy and discord and all of that stuff should not be among us. We should be known for our love 
People should look at us and say, those are followers of Christ. Look how they patiently deal with one another. Look how that, that immature person just put his foot in his mouth and said something he shouldn't have said, and he's, he's the preacher. But they love him, and they're talking to him, and they're caring for him, and they're, they're helping encourage him and get him back on the right track. And they're not abandoning him, and they're not talking about him behind his back, and they're not doing anything you know, wicked or evil. They're encouraging and building up. Wow. You know, these are people who love God and love one another. And that should be what they see in us. Not dissensions and not uh, discord. That's, that's the goal. Okay. All right, let's look at the last section. So chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, and the writers who keep writing oppression." To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. That widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment? In the ruin that will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the, the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Notice, God is making it very clear that these people have become wicked, and they are stubbornly rebelling against God and refusing to change. They, they hear, but they're not listening. And Isaiah said that's exactly what's going to happen. God is giving them message after message, and they're not listening to a single bit of it. And so instead, they're just continuing in their pursuits of wickedness. And what a picture this is. That there are the, the leaders have created a world in which the laws are made to oppress. Uh, they've created a system where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And the rich are getting richer by the hand of the poor. They're, they're devouring the widows. They're devouring the orphans in order to rise up and become prominent. You think God's okay with that? Of course not. Throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over again in the New Testament, God loves orphans and widows. God wants the people to take care of the weak and the vulnerable. And instead, they've created a system where there's no justice and there's no generosity. And there's no equity, but instead, those who are, are supposed to be protecting the people are causing them pain and suffering. And God is not okay with that. So his anger has not gone away. And his fist is still ready to strike. <coughs> Unless they repent, they will be destroyed. And we know that that's exactly what's going to happen to the northern kingdom of Israel. So how does this one apply to us? Well, you know, we're not in the, the power of, I don't know that anybody here is holding a political office or pursuing one. Perhaps you are. I know that there are brethren who do, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, all of us, we're, we're regular people. So how do we relate to this? Well, you know, our actions are pushing other, others down, uh, if, 
if our actions are pushing others down, we're relating to this. We're, we're in a similar situation. If instead of lifting others up with generous hearts and with generous uh, you know, opportunities that are given to us to help those who are weak and, unfortunate, and misfortunate, uh, misfortunate, is that even a word? Uh, they don't have any, any ability to take care of themselves. If we're not devoting ourselves to lifting them up and caring for them, then we're following down the same path. If we're just hoarding up riches for ourselves, we're going to get to that in James. Something's broken. Something's wrong. We're not like Christ who is generously giving and helping those who are around them. This is a call not just to a systemic problem, but to an individual problem of no compassion, no love, no generosity to the neighbor who's struggling. And overlooking their suffering and overlooking their oppression and not standing up for it. Seeing this, God is angry about this. And his anger is not going anywhere until they repent and change. And we don't want to be among those whom God is angry with. As I say all that, I recognize that there's this whole woke system that's going around. None of that was political. I'm not encouraging uh, you know, pursuit of a political uh, group that, that promotes some of that stuff, even though them, they themselves might be taking advantage of the poor and things like that. Uh, it's just a comment. It's a statement of righteousness that God expects those who are rich and prosperous to share and to be generous and to look out for those who are vulnerable and those who are oppressed. That is God's desire for his people today as well. That we would have that kind of heart that loves other people. Again, they will know you by your love. So all of this is intended for Israel to make it clear that Israel is guilty of sin. They're stubborn and they're rebellious and they're unwilling to change. But we can find some nuggets of wisdom for us. Some understanding of unrighteousness that's in the world around us that we can fall prey to, that we can be deceived into doing those same things. And we need to be very careful. We need to be sure that we're not, you know, going a little bit further in the direction of relying on ourselves or relying on men, that we're not pursuing, uh, you know, our own exaltation at the expense of others, which is what the last two sections were really all about hurting our brothers, hurting the most vulnerable. Uh, we don't need to knowingly walk that path because it leads to destruction. The example of Israel is an example for us. Even though we are God's people, if God's anger is against us, it won't turn away unless we repent, unless we're really willing to submit to what he has called us to. We need to be careful uh, because some of us might not feel convicted at all about some of these sins. You know, as I think about it, everybody out in the world around us, they have no problems with any of these things that I've just mentioned. They have no problem with you relying on yourself and doing the best you can do. They have no problem with you glorifying them because of all they've accomplished. They have no problem with you arguing and fussing and fighting and causing strife with your brother. They, they said they deserve it, and, and I would do it too. They have no problem with taking advantage of other people as long as 
you know, it's not an offensive thing or it's not something that's obviously wrong. As long as it's under the table, as long as it's something that's not overtly evil. And so your heart might tell you there's nothing wrong with that. You might find ways to justify it. But the heart is very deceitful. And this is indicating to us that there's a heart problem inside of Israel that is stubborn and rebellious and will be judged and condemned. So we need to take that very seriously. We need to see that our pride, our arrogance, thinking, uh, I'll be fine, is not okay. We need to learn to rely on God. We need to see that our desires uh, that, that cause us to pursue things that are wicked and evil are not okay. And we need to overcome those things. The fears that we have, uh, we need to overcome. Our, amb- our ambitions, our desires for success, all those things that are pushing us and driving us into a life of sin, whatever they are, We need to overcome those things to be the light that God has called us to be. We can't remain stubborn and rebellious. We cannot continue to sin willfully. We must remember that God has called us to something greater. We must remember that God has promised judgment for those who have no concern about his will. If we say we have faith, but we don't have works, our faith is dead. That's what we learned about with James. And that's exactly what we're seeing here among these Israelites. Their faith is dead. They're not demonstrating faith or trust in God at all. Instead, they're pursuing their own exaltation. They're doing what they want to do with no concern of God's will. And we cannot follow in their footsteps. So in conclusion, we see in all this, God's people can easily be locked into this worldly mindset and get into this habit of thinking and doing the things that the rest of the world around us does, and we have to get out of that. We need a posture of humility, a posture of prayer, and thinking about God as the one who can, who can fight for us, the one who can be with us. When everything falls apart, we don't rely on ourselves. We see what we've always known, that we are unable to take care of ourselves, and we start putting our faith and our trust in God. We start immersing ourselves in God's word in order to prevent the wickedness. As we've been studying James, I hope you've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that. Just immersing myself and understanding who I'm supposed to be as a child of God and how I'm not supposed to pursue these wicked and evil things that I've I've commonly pursued. That I thought there's nothing wrong with any of these things because everybody else around me does it. And they deserve this slanderous word that I'm giving them. And it's the truth. No, that's not okay. We need to immerse ourselves in God's word to correct those things so that our conscience is built up and strengthened to prevent us from from tripping and doing the things that are against God's will. We need to have authentic, accountable relationships with one another to help with this. The picture of dissension and discord among the Israelites is the example of what not to do. And so what we should be doing is unifying, working together and and helping one another and being generous with one another and being vulnerable to one another so that we can become what we're supposed to be. It's It's not about me. It's about God. It's about Christ being glorified through me. And it's not about you. It's about us working together 
to accomplish that goal. So as we, as we read all this and we're seeing what they're doing wrong, understand there's a very important message in each and every part of that for you and me. And understand that we're going to make mistakes along the way and we're going to do a lot of the things that these people are doing, but we have to overcome those things because God has called us to more. And he gives more grace to those who are humble enough to, to submit to him and make changes in their own lives. And remember, as we study all this, it's not a sprint. This is not something that uh, we, we just work really, really hard and we get it all figured out and we become what God wants us to be and then we never have to worry again because we've done our, our job. This is a marathon. This is intended to be something that we gruel and we work and we never stop working until the race is run. Is run and it's all over. Uh, and so we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have mistakes. We're going to trip and fall. And we're going to hopefully help each other up and get stronger and become what God wants us to be. Instead of making the choice to go to the shed with the chainsaws, <laughs> we're going to choose to get in that car and escape. Because Satan is coming and we know that God has given us the escape vehicle. He's given us the source of salvation and freedom from the judgment that we deserve through Jesus if we'll just humbly submit to him and receive the grace that he offers to each and every one of us. So let's continue to hold fast to Christ, to, to enjoy the grace that we don't deserve and to not take it for granted, but instead to use it to motivate us to do more for one another and to do more to glorify God. And let's keep relying on Him. Don't ever think, oh, I've asked Him for too much. Just keep asking and just keep relying because He wants to be there for each and every one of us and help us in all of our struggles. Sometimes He gives us the struggles to help us realize we can't do it on our own. And, and be grateful for that because we can't do it on our own. If there's anybody here tonight who recognizes that you can't do it on your own, that you are not strong enough to be righteous enough to uh, earn the salvation that God is offering, but you recognize you need to rely on His grace and His mercy, and you've never done it before and you want to do it, now you can. If you're here and you've been uh, relying on His grace, but you've been also relying on yourself, I hope you'll see that God really just wants you to rely on Him. And, and forget about your own abilities, but whatever abilities you have, attribute the, the glory to God and do the best you can to, to shine as a light for people around you to understand. He is a wonderful and merciful God. And, and I'm so grateful for the God that we serve. But if you have any needs tonight, if we can help you in any way, will you please come as we stand and as we sing?